Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Hump Day edition of The Yard. Hope things are well with you. It's busy. It's busy around here. Should have everything finished up for the uh, the Big Rock Vegas show on September 30th this week. Only a couple more things left to do. Uh, ticketing, that's one thing we're uh, working through. Just waiting on somebody to get that set up. But uh, we hope to have tickets on sale Friday. We hope. Hope. If it doesn't happen Friday, don't panic. It's just a matter of kind of getting some things set up. And so it's a little bit complicated at times. But uh, my hope is we'll have an announcement on that in the next today or tomorrow as far as ticketing goes. I'd like to have them on sale by Friday. And so I uh, went and met with some people yesterday to try to get that resolved. And so we'll have some information for you on that sooner rather than later. But uh, things are going well. Rock Vegas, of course, September 30th. We'll have Mississippi bands, four-way stop and twist, supporting Lillian Axe, legendary band from the Southeast. They're actually over in the UK right now. Playing a week of dates over there. It'd be pretty cool. Playing some pubs, some historic venues over there. Then they'll come back. They'll get settled in. And then uh, we'll see them in about uh, five weeks' time. A lot of football is going to be played between now and then. We're going to talk about some upcoming football on today's show. I want to thank everybody that's been a part of uh, making this show a reality. We're nearly done. I guess the last I got left to do is uh, get the banners taken care of. Uh, it'll also do some, provide some advertising for our sponsors and then uh, pay Lillian Axe the rest of their fee. And that's it. Down to it. From start to finish, you know, we're 10 days into this thing and we're nearly done. And I uh, went down to the venue, spent some time with Hobie at his place. There's some things they're doing there, kind of in preparation of the show. And I uh, got them connected with all Lillian Axe's uh, PA people and staging people. And so... Uh, there'll be some updates we'll provide as we get a little bit closer, but uh, going to be a great night. I hope you guys can come out and attend. Uh, important to understand, too, your ticket price, all of the ticket money you spend goes directly towards Mississippi State's NIL efforts. And so it's important to kind of understand that right out of the gate. You're going to get a great night of rock and roll and also do something for the betterment of Mississippi State's student athletes. So uh, be looking for more information as we go. Uh, we, you know, kind of getting there with all the little parameters as far as logos and uh, getting our shirts settled and things like that. And uh, ordered the VIP passes last night. They'll be here in a few days. We've already got our bracelets in, you know, those entrance bracelets that uh, people put on you. When you go to a show, we got all that stuff done. There's a lot to it, man. I'm not going to lie. Your boy went to bed early last night. Had uh, my son Ian's uh, 17th birthday celebration. Came home. Scrolling through my phone, felt myself drifting off. I didn't even watch TV, man. I just turned the light out, went on to bed. But got to get all this stuff done this week because we're going to be into the season next week and I'm not going to have time to commit to it. So kind of running myself ragged a little bit, but I think it'll all be worth it uh, in the end. Really excited about this show and uh, have heard from a lot of people too. A lot of people, you know, that were very integral in the Mississippi rock scene years ago, people that were part of – putting shows together, people that promoted bands and things like that that are really encouraging us uh, because they're happy with what's happening 
you know, with what we're doing, kind of trying to revitalize the Mississippi rock scene. I hope that you'll support us in that endeavor. Come out, come to the show. We're going to have other shows too. Going to have other shows. Already got a lot of interest around the state for people saying, hey, we would like to do something like that too. So there are some things that we'll do. You know, of course, there's, uh, there's only so many hours in the day, so I can't commit a lot of time to this. But, uh, you know, we're thinking, you know, maybe a couple times a year, maybe once a quarter, we can put a show together. And, uh, you know, if, if it becomes something bigger than that, then it does. But uh, we've heard from some people, too, that, um, you know, that have been in some bands that you guys think are important. It said, hey, you know, we might be willing to kind of put a reunion show together if you're interested in something like that. But at the end of the day, it's not just a nostalgia type thing. We're trying to kind of push forward and do what we can to kind of cultivate the rock scene here in the state of Mississippi. I know many of you were around during those days. and You remember those days fondly. I remember talking to the young guys in Twist last week, and I was telling them some history of Lily and Axe about how when we were teenagers, we used our fake IDs to get into the creek to go watch them play. We didn't even care about drinking a cold beer. We just wanted to watch the show kind of be around the culture, kind of be around our friends and our family and, and uh, enjoy a great rock show. And uh, Wiley Carter says, you know what? That's what we want to bring back. We want people getting fake IDs and sneaking into shows and things like that because they love rock and roll music. And so there is a hunger out there. A lot of these young people just need an opportunity. And you would think, well, you know, the the music scene is so easy nowadays. You can go record a song and put it up on iTunes, right? But, but these young people need exposure. These bands need a chance to play in front of a crowd. And that's what we're going to bring uh, to Hobie's on September 30th. We're going to bring a great crowd and, again, limited capacity. So tickets are going to go quickly. Uh, and it's important to understand that, too. If you're thinking, okay, well, I'll just wait around, maybe go the day of the show. There's not going to be any ticketing at the door. You're going to have to buy your tickets online. We'll provide that link on all my social media, and we'll have a lot of things out there for you guys to be able to, uh, to go get your tickets. So uh, kind of understand that right out of the gate. It, it, I've already got people right now like, hey, Steve, you got me. No, I don't have you. I, I, I don't have you. So you're going to need to buy a ticket because this is, not a, this is not my show, even though I'm the person kind of organizing all this. I will not profit from it, and I'm not going to control – um, you know, the facilitation of tickets, you know, so you're going to have to buy a ticket. You're not going to be able to show up that day and say, Hey, I'm a friend of Steve's because everybody's a friend of Steve's. I just can't get you into a show that's there to the purpose of the show is to raise money. And so I need inventory as Charlie says, I need people that are going to be there to buy beer and people are going to buy shirts and people are going to uh, contribute to the cause. And so I appreciate everybody's interest and, uh, Look forward to that. Once this week is done, even though I feel great about it, once I get you know the rest of Lillian's fee paid, and we'll do, I'll do that Friday, and we get these banners on order, we get this ticketing set up, then there's really nothing left to do. You know, then we're just kind of waiting. You know, kind of letting everybody prepare. You know, of course, as I mentioned, uh, Hobie's got some things we got to do down there, but uh, it'll be great. It's going to be a great night, a historic venue. A lot of big bands have played the old State Palace Theater. And I had somebody else tell me, it's like, hey, well, this is going to be upstairs. No, no, it's not upstairs. You know, it's going to be downstairs in the main venue. So it's going to be a great night. Come be a part of that the night before the Texas A&M game. And again, remember now, be looking for tickets. I will announce it and give you guys a little advance notice. But once tickets are on sale, they're going to go quickly. So understand that.
All right, let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company. I love Bulldog Burger Company. I love them an awful lot. I love them, I think, before they love me. It is a love affair in which I am happy to participate. I love a good restaurant-quality hamburger. Theirs are great. I don't know that there's any place I'd rather eat a hamburger than Bulldog Burger Company. It's one of the fine delicacies in life, right? Treat yourself today to the fine cuisine at Bulldog Burger Company. There are three great locations to serve you. University Drive here in Start Vegas. They get that brand new, brand new great patio area. Be sure and check that out. And, of course, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, Lake Harbor Drive in the Ridge and Flowood area. Go by, have the spring rolls as your appetizer. They will make you and everybody around you better looking. We all need more of that, right? As we age, we need kind of that fountain of youth meal. Have those spring rolls. They'll contribute to that. If you hadn't been in lately, you should. They've updated the menu a little bit, some new items on there. Go by, have your old favorites, perhaps try something new. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, we're going to have some college football in our lives here in a couple days. How about that? Did you realize it? It's kind of sneaking up on you, maybe? The SEC, we're going to have our first SEC game, August 27th. Today is August 24th. So this Saturday... We're going to see Vanderbilt play at Hawaii. That's going to be a 9.30 central start. It'll be broadcast on the CBS Sports Network. That's part of our group, you know, part of CBS Sports. We are, we're with CBS Interactive. And so Vanderbilt at Hawaii. And I understand Vanderbilt like it's been down there for a couple days to kind of acclimate to the territory out there. It's a different deal. So let's kind of look at uh, – you know, some of these odds, I guess we can, you know, kind of look and see what week zero looks like. And then we'll, we're not, we're only going to talk about SEC teams, but you look at the latest lines, it looks like Vanderbilt is favored in this thing. And it's interesting too, the lines with this are kind of all over the place. Uh, they really are. I guess it opened at minus one Vanderbilt favored by a point. And, um, you know, now some books have it from, you know, eight and a half to seven and a half. So right around eight. So Vanderbilt favored to win this game by a touchdown or more. I, I don't I don't know. I, I, I mean, can you have any confidence in Vanderbilt? And what a great trip to be able to go to Hawaii. But that's going to take place again. That's Saturday night, 930 Central. Should be able to find that regardless of your uh, you know, TV provider there. Be sure and check that game out. Be the first SEC game of the year. Going to be some other games that day. I guess our first game um, will be about, what, 11 a.m.? I think that's right. 11 a.m.? Maybe so. Yeah, 11 a.m., Austin P. and the Western Kentucky Hilltoppers. Pretty big uh, Power 5 game that, that day, too. Northwestern versus Nebraska. You know, Scott Frost, of course, uh, coaching for his job, not just his alma mater. It's a big year for him. Looks like he's facing a loss uh, early on. But, um, all right, let's move forward here to our next SEC game. Will happen September the 1st. September the 1st. I need to get a calendar out here. Goodness gracious. I get my calendar out here so I don't tell you the wrong days. Yeah, so the 27th is uh, the Saturday. And then Labor Day, of course, uh, follows on the, uh, the the 5th, that's after us. But September the 1st is a is going to be a Thursday night game. And Ball State is going to be at Tennessee. That's a 6 p.m. tip on the tip. 6 p.m. kick on the SEC network. Ball State 
at Tennessee. I like this Tennessee team. We talked about them on the last show. We'll kind of see how things progress with them. But uh, the reality of it is, is I think this Tennessee team is going to be a lot better than people expect. Tennessee favored by 30-plus in this game. Ball State might do well in their league, but I think this Tennessee team will smash them. I think that's what you guys are anticipating as well. I saw Josh Pate put out his uh, predictions too. I agree with most of them. A couple of them I disagree with. But like me, Josh, who – Josh has uh, – you know, late kick. He's a little radio show and podcast for uh, 247. Does a great job with that. He likes his Tennessee team, too. And Tennessee, not even a preseason top 25. I think that is an omission that will look a little silly in hindsight. Not the only game that day involving an SEC team. Louisiana Tech will be at Missouri. That's going to be on ESPNU. That's a 7 o'clock central kick. That could be an entertaining game. You know, Vanderbilt in Hawaii may be interesting in its ineptitude, and I think Tennessee will flash some muscle. But this Louisiana Tech-Missouri game could be awfully interesting. I'm eager to see what Tech looks like. Of course, Tech kind of went all in on the portal last year. Didn't quite work out. Missouri is favored by 18.5, and some books have it just above 20. So they're expecting Mizzou to be much better. I just think with that Tiger defense, how much better can they be year over year in week one? No clue what Louisiana Tech's going to have. But, again, they, they kind of went all in last year on the portal, and now a lot of those guys are gone. So Missouri favored to win big there. And, of course, the first three ball games, you expect, you know, in a non-conference schedule, an SEC team should be a favorite to win. But Louisiana Tech could make it interesting. If I'm not a betting man, but if I was, I might even take Tech in the points because with that Missouri defense and uh, all that they've lost last year, I don't know if you look at that. They have three touchdown favorite. I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't see this like I do that Ball State-Tennessee game. I don't think there's in question. All right, so we get to September 3rd, and that's the day we play. And this is when everybody else in the league is going to play. Everybody else in the league is going to get together, play these games. Sam Houston State will be your 11 a.m. SEC Network game at Texas A&M. That'll be – should be a blowout. I mean, if Texas A&M can't blow those guys out, it uh, could make for a very interesting year out in College Station. You know, Sam Houston, there's no line on this game. Texas A&M should win this game. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. That's right, the Dixie National Rodeo, get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year, and me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest, and we'd go up there, and just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing. The versatility of Tacovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tacovas does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours, too. 
Be sure and check them out. Tacovas believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink, and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom fitted for a new pair of Tacovas boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Handily, I don't know what you know about Sam Houston State. They've got a pretty decent baseball program. Matt Daggs coach there. Pretty awesome. Awesome coach there. Uh, Sam Houston State Bearcats. Let's take a quick look at the Bearcats, just 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 for the fun of it, right? Let's just take a look and see what happened to those guys last year. It's like when you Google Sam Houston State, one of the first questions that pops up is, is Sam Houston State a D1 school? That, that says an awful lot, doesn't it? So, no, we don't expect those guys to be involved. But they were 11-1 last year. Hey, good for them. Good for the Bearcats. They were 11-1 last year. Made it to the quarterfinals of the FCS playoffs. So, uh, not, a, not a bad FCS team by any stretch, but it'll be interesting to see if from an athlete standpoint, if they can uh, hang with the Aggies for a half. Big game that night, or that afternoon, excuse me, Oregon at Georgia. Number 11, Oregon at Georgia. That is a 2.30 ABC kick, Central Time. <clears throat> That's going to be Another one of those games, too, that I think there will be a lot of eyeballs on the defending NAFL champions against a team that's been very good in the Pac-12 last couple of years. I don't know if we can continue to call it the Pac-12, though. Maybe I'm wrong. But that's going to be an awfully interesting game. From, from an early week standpoint, you don't expect to see those, those caliber games at the very beginning. But that's what we're going to get. And of course, Oregon with a new offensive coordinator. You know, it's your Moorhead left. Eugene, to go to be the head coach uh, for the Akron Zips. And uh, we wish Joe the best, man. Traded some messages with Joe here a couple weeks ago. And uh, Joe just said, you know, a great man. He just didn't win enough. You know, we just had some issues here. I don't, I don't think any less of Joe as a person or a coach. And he had a couple of good years there at Oregon uh, offensively. But Oregon's got their hands full with the defending NAFL champion Georgia Bulldogs. They returned a lot of their roster. You know, we previewed them here a couple weeks ago. Oregon is a 14-and-a-half-point dog. According, it opened at 14-and-a-half, and now it's risen to 17-and-a-half. I like Georgia in this game. I think Oregon's a little bit overvalued. I think you guys probably would agree. As we get a little closer, we, you know, we'll make these picks again. But I'm just kind of going off the current lines here. Georgia, a huge favorite here. Basically a three-score favorite in this game and you wouldn't expect that this early in the season between uh you know i guess a peripheral top 10 team in oregon they got to go between the hedges and that's tough to do all right cincinnati at arkansas this is a very intriguing game this will happen at the same time this is a 230 kick on espn 
Cincinnati, of course, uh, <laughs> last year, a team that was outstanding. What is it with all the Bearcats this year? Uh, Cincinnati Bearcats had a big year last year, and everybody keeps expecting Fickle to leave every single year. He's mentioned in connection with these big games and these big jobs. And, you know, I was told when we were, I was doing the search for our job, when we hired Mike Leach, people were telling me that, you know, that his, his wife, he and his wife both are devout Catholics, and it's very important to that family that they, uh, their kids go to Catholic school. And so a great Catholic school system was a big part of the equation. And so they said, you know what? Uh, he's not going to leave Cincinnati for Starkville. Makes sense. Bearcats 13-1 and last year. People forget they went undefeated in the regular season and then lost to Alabama in the Cotton Bowl. And you felt like Cincinnati wouldn't be able to match up athletically in that game. They didn't. But uh, a great year for them. And you start looking at what Fickle has done there. You know, if I'm Arkansas, I'm nervous, man. I mean, I am. And, I, and I, listen, I get it. It's all kind of works in cycles. Year before, 9-1. and In 2020, they go 9-1. and Lost two games the last two years combined. That's an impressive stretch. The year before that, 11-3. and three. So, good on Sam Pittman and the Arkansas Razorbacks for, you know, scheduling a team to caliber of Cincinnati. Cincinnati uh, preseason top 23, top 25 at number 23. The Razorbacks opened as an eight-point favorite. It's now down to around six, six and a half, depending on what book you utilize there. So now it's under a touchdown. But uh, this could be awfully interesting. There's some intrigue with this one. Now, of course, it doesn't impact Arkansas in the, uh, in the rankings, but uh, you know, or in the standings of the SEC. But you know, Arkansas at home with a run-first scheme, and Cincinnati lost a good bit from last year. you got to like the Razorbacks here. But, um, you know, again – Credit to both programs. And maybe Cincinnati has more to gain by playing Arkansas. But I think it's important to kind of tip the cap here and say, you know what, hey, good on you guys for getting together and playing a game like this. All right, later that afternoon, uh, 3 p.m. kickoff on the SEC Network, Troy and Oxford against the Ole Miss Rebels. Now, I don't think anybody expects this to be a game. I think maybe some Bulldog fans will watch it because we're just interested to see how this quarterback play is going to work out at, at Ole Miss. A lot of people have said privately that, you know, this quarterback battle between uh, Luke Altmaier and uh, Dart has actually been really competitive. And, and, hey, credit to Luke, man, for going up there and competing. You know, Dart, of course, a uh, very highly heralded recruit. And Luke was, too, in his own right, too. But a lot of people were kind of conceding this job to Dart. But I understand that Luke's went up there and really played hard and uh, has really represented himself well and made this kind of interesting. So do you see them both in week one? I think, you know, with all this NIL stuff and this craziness that's going on in, uh, in the portal, I, I think you have to start Dart. But I just think from a talent standpoint, you know, Ole Miss should win this game handily. It opened as a 21-point uh, line. It's risen to 22, 22 and a half. I don't think Ole Miss should have any trouble covering this. And if they do, they're in trouble, right? I mean, it's like you look at this cakewalk of a, of a first-half schedule, they can ill afford to drop a game because the, the back half is absolutely loaded. And, again, I've got them losing the last five. And so you can ill afford to drop a game to a non-conference opponent if you're Ole Miss. But uh, they should not have any issue. Uh, they shouldn't have any issue with this. All right, so – Utah at Florida. I've told you guys before, I like Utah in this game. I think Utah, that's a 6 p.m. kickoff on ESPN. Utah's a top 10 team. Florida's not. First game, new schemes, new coach. Even though it's in a swamp, I, I, I really like Utah in this game. 
and and maybe you disagree, but I I think that I think the Utah team last year was capable of playing with probably everybody but George and Alabama. Had a chance to watch them a couple times. Wide receiver play is really really good offensively. They're really good. I'm looking up the line here for you right now, kind of scrolling through a lot, a lot of traction that day. So it opens as Florida as a one point dog, and now Utah is the favorite. Excuse me. Yeah, Utah was the favorite. Excuse me. Wrong again. Florida opened up as a one-point favorite. It is now a two-and-a-half-point line in favor of Utah. So I apologize for that. I like Utah to win. I think this game could actually get out of hand. And and when I say out of hand, I think Utah could win this thing by a couple scores. I don't think it's a blowout game. And I certainly have have a tough time picking Florida in week one with all the moving parts to a new scheme against a power five top 10 opponent. I, so I don't think the Billy Napier era gets off on the right foot. I could be wrong. You know, Billy runs a very, very, very effective offensive scheme. I just think when you look at what Utah's bringing back and the momentum they have as a program right now, everything favors Utah. Yeah, it's a toss up and you generally favor the home team. But again, week one, you know, it could be a fire drill. It absolutely could. It could be an absolute fire drill. But I like Utah to win the game. I think Utah covers easily. Uh, Miami of Ohio will kick off around that same time. They'll be at Kentucky. I don't think there's anybody out there that, that is expecting anything, any kind of upsets here. I'm kind of scrolling through here trying to find your line. But, um, you know, Kentucky, you know, some people say I'm a Kentucky hater. I think I'm a Kentucky realist. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's how I feel. I think Kentucky is a – I think Kentucky, in many respects, is Mississippi State. They just happen to benefit from playing in the East. I think we're comparable in many respects as a program. But I, I think most years I would favor Mississippi State. I'm also a homer. Um, I think State's better, a better program than Kentucky. And he said, but they've had a couple 10-win seasons. Yeah, but, like, when's the last time they had to march into Tuscaloosa or Tiger Stadium? on a regular basis. I think they're a comparable program to Mississippi State, a step behind Mississippi State, and they benefit from playing in the weaker division. They're 19, the line opened at 19.5 in favor of Kentucky. It's down to 17.5, 18. Kentucky should win this game handily, and then we'll have to deal with all this you know, hype again. I just, you know, again, I think Kentucky's a good program. I don't think they're great. I think there's some people in the media that, that would love for them to be great. All right, Mercer at Auburn. Brian Harson better win this game. My gosh, man. It's like people are like, well, do you think he survives? No, I don't think he survives. And I, you know, he's picked last in the West for a reason. They lost a ton to the portal. They're going to match up against Mercer. And, you know, you say, well, you know, Steve, uh, athletically, Auburn should always beat Mercer. They should, you know. They should have lost their FCS game last year too, though. You know, so you you begin to kind of dial this thing up, and it's like if you're an Auburn fan, you're almost just kind of holding your breath. And it's like, well, you know, we should be able to come out here and just steamroll them. And you're right. You should. But will they? I think Auburn wins this game. But, you know, the reality of it is is even if they win and they don't look cute doing it, you know, if they go out there and just stumble and stumble and stumble and, you know, they have to – you know, pick off a pass late and eke out of there with a win. I think that's going to be a harbinger of things to come. 
I think we could probably all agree with that. Auburn absolutely cannot struggle with Mercer. I don't think they will. But if they do, man, the pitchforks are going to be out early. I don't think there's any question about it. There are going to be a lot of Auburn people that are going to be like, well, here we go. Let's go ahead and kind of mount up the posse here because we're going to be making a coaching change. And, again, I, I'm told that there are some very prominent Auburn donors that are just not contributing to NIL because they don't believe in the program. They don't believe in the direction of the program. There is no line on this game, too. So Auburn should win go anyway. If they don't, go ahead and expect some drama. Uh, Elon will play Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt's going to get two games in very, very quickly, as you guys are well aware. Sometimes I, I confuse Elon with the University of Phoenix. I know Elon's had some good, uh, good baseball programs over the years, but um, and that'll be awfully interesting too. You know, Vanderbilt. You know, looking at the odds makers, you know, Vanderbilt should get out of the gate two and zero, and that might might be it. <laughs> I still think they lose to Hawaii, but um, you know, we'll kind of see how that kind of rolls out there. But um, you know, Vanderbilt should get off to a good start against Elon. I mean, why wouldn't they? I mean, it's no disrespect to the fine folks at Elon, but uh, you could probably pull, you know, 11 kids out of the stands in an SEC venue and probably be able to compete at a comparable level against an SEC team. Utah State's at Alabama. I don't think anybody in the world is projecting Utah State to be able to stay with them. Uh, but let's be fair to Utah State, too. You know, they're, they're a team that has done some things at times that um, – yeah, I guess they're decent. You know, I think you look at them and you say, well, okay, not too bad. You know, they're in the shadow of a program like Utah. But, um, you know, Utah State just kind of flies under the radar over there. And every once in a while you look up and it seems like they're they're in a ball game that maybe they shouldn't be. But, you know, the reality of it is is you got to be able to close out games. you got to be able to make things happen. And some of these websites, these university websites, it's like they're just trying to trick me. It's like, oh, here, click our ad. You don't want to click our ad? Okay, we'll, we'll make you jump there. Utah State 11-3 and three last year. Did you, did you know that? Yeah, I would say the casual fan didn't know that. 11-3 and three last year. So they'll come out wanting to size up Alabama, and uh, that'll be cute for a while. I don't think there's any question that Alabama should win that game. But, uh, you know, don't be surprised if Utah State makes it a game for a half. You know, right? I just think Alabama has recruited at such a level that it doesn't really, really matter who you line up. That game in the third quarter, there probably is going to be some separation. I don't think there's any question about that. Trying to find the line here. I, I, I wish that – I mean, maybe you guys can help me. Some of you guys that are regular gamblers. You know, it's like, can I just go toggle and sort – by SEC teams, do I have to go through and, and just dig through all this stuff? Some of these, some of the, just some of just make any sense. And um, you would have to think there's got to be a line out there, Utah State versus Alabama. Okay, there it is, 39 points. 39 points. Yeah, so I guess it opened at 38 and a half, and it's it swelled to 39. It's all it's awfully tempting, right, to think, oh, you know, well. Will Alabama beat them 56 nothing? That would be my luck, right? Like, if they're favored by 39 and I pick them, Nick Saban would win by 40, you know. Uh, but that should be an easy game, you know, for Alabama. And in Memphis, of course, at Mississippi State, we're all well aware of this game, right? Kind of paying attention, getting excited about that game. 
And what's interesting is like, what's amazing to me is when I talk to other people in the media, they're kind of amazed by the spread in this game. And I don't profess to know everything about college sports, but I begin to ask myself, why wouldn't this spread be big? I mean, Memphis won last year on a fluke. Memphis doesn't return a, you know, a ton. They went and worked the portal really hard, but you know, so did Mississippi State. But it's like Mississippi State's one of the most experienced teams in the Southeastern Conference. Why wouldn't State playing at home against the G5 team with less experience, why wouldn't State be you know, a considerable favorite in that game? And people are like, wow, I don't understand. Oh, well, you know, wh- what is it you're really saying? Are you, are you saying you expect Mississippi State to be poor? I, I think State's going to win this game handily. You know, m- maybe I am in the minority. I think State, number one, was State let Memphis off the hook last year. We had a chance after that Emmanuel Forbes interception in the third quarter to go up three scores. And I feel like if you do that, the game is over. I think most people probably would agree with that. This game opened. It is a state open as an eight point favorite. Favorite. It is now 16 and a half to 15 and a half. Opened at eight. It is now exploded. It's doubled. And people are like, I don't understand. Mississippi State's a good football team. How about that? Memphis is not. Memphis is an average team. Mississippi State's playing at home. State's got the revenge factor after that fluke nonsense, cockamamie crap they uh, put on us last year. State's going to win this game. State's going to cover. Maybe you disagree, and I'm okay with that too. I am perfectly okay with you being wrong. I don't want to – and I'll be honest with you, if we limp out of that game, my expectations about the season may change a little bit. I think we're an 8-4 and four team. I think we get Memphis and I. And I'm, I'm not saying we go up there and hang 70 on them. But I think we play that game really well. Georgia State is at South Carolina, the barn burner. You know, South Carolina also an experienced team this year, and then they bring in Spencer Radler. You may have seen that yesterday, and I actually think their numbers are wrong. I actually think State's more experienced. I'd have to go back and do the, do the math myself. But – Mississippi State and South Carolina, according to a graphic that made the rounds on social media yesterday, returned the most starters of anybody in the SEC. So we're not a young team, all right? So don't, 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 don't listen to that. We're not a young team. South Carolina it opens as an 11-point favorite. It goes to 13 and a half. You like South Carolina at home. You know, Georgia State, you know, that, what's interesting, you know, they, they won some games that uh, you know, kind of made some people excited, I guess. You know, I always thought Georgia State was just, for a long time, they were just kind of another team, right? You know what I'm saying? It's like you never thought about them as a, you know, a team you needed to worry about. I mean, are, are we being fair here? You just never really worried about them. And then, like, last year, uh, they nearly beat Auburn at Auburn. I know it wasn't a great Auburn team, but Georgia State should have won the game. I think Georgia State got cheated out of the game. They called that pass complete. The ball clearly hit the ground. They review it. And the bomb at the SEC office, it was at the control center, gave, basically gave that to Auburn. Auburn comes back, takes a lead, and then Georgia State throws a pick six. And everybody on the plane celebrates. As bad as that season was for Auburn, it should have been worse because replay failed them. Absolutely failed them. And they still finished 8-5 and five on the year. They beat Ball State 51-20 in the Camellia Bowl down in Montgomery. Finished the year on a four-game winning streak. 
I don't know what they return. They might make this thing interesting for a while. But, you know, with Spencer Rattler in that offense, South Carolina should win this game. But don't be surprised if Georgia State doesn't keep it close. All right, final game, and that'll actually be on a Sunday, September the 4th on week one. It'll be ABC, a 6.30 p.m. kickoff. Florida State and LSU. Florida State and LSU, two teams that uh, struggled last year. LSU finished 6-6 six and six in the regular season, lost their bowl game. Florida State goes 5-7, and seven, misses out on a bowl game. So when I'm sure when that contract was signed, somebody's like, dude, we got Florida State and LSU. And now it's like, oh, we got Florida State and LSU. LSU opens as a four-point favorite. It's now down to three, three and a half, depending on who you look at. Does anybody know what these teams are going to look like? I mean, let's be fair about that. Do we really know how that game's going to look? And, and you know, of course, it's not a home game for either team, so it's a toss-up in a neutral site. You know the LSU people will turn out. I, I, I'll be honest with you. I think the LSU fan base is more excited about their program because they go out there and pull the boss move and they go get Brian Kelly away from Notre Dame. And that's what they do at LSU. It's what Scott does. He goes out and makes splash hires. He shows their base. We're committed to winning. We're going to go out and do big things. So they go out and get Brian Kelly. So I think the, the LSU people are probably more excited about their season while there are some Florida State fans that are hoping for a coaching change. You know, Florida State's had, what, four losing seasons in a row? I think we've talked about that before. You know, it's like these Florida State people that were so – disillusioned about why Chris Parson would consider Mississippi State. Well, I got connections here, too. But also, too, you know, what is Florida State? They're not what they once were. And if you're Mike Norvell, again, you, you finished 5-7 and seven last year, and then you lose to Florida, a really bad Florida team with, uh, with an interim coach. So Mike Norvell enters year three. Went three and six in 2020. Maybe you can't count that against them. People do now when they're, when they're making their case. And you're five and seven last year. And so, excuse me, five, five consecutive losing seasons. Excuse me. Five straight. Five straight. And that actually goes back. No, I'm wrong about that too. Yeah, it's five straight. Jimbo's last year, of course, was losing season. Willie Taggart went five and seven, four and five. Then Mike Novell, three and six, five and seven. And – this is going to be one of those games, too. If LSU loses, I don't think their people jump off the bandwagon. Florida State loses, it's going to be like if Harson struggles against uh, Mercer. Yeah, because especially if LSU embarrasses them. And, again, there's a lot of moving parts to every bit of this. I think everybody's well aware of that. You know, new coach, new personnel. Could be some interesting results here. But, uh, you know, quickly kind of looking at Florida State, they're going to play the week before against Duquesne's. So work some things out. And then they get LSU. They're at Louisville. They host Boston College, host Wake Forest, at NC State, host Clemson, host Georgia Tech, at Miami, at Syracuse. Then they host UL Lafayette. And then, of course, Florida. And you start looking at this and you start, okay, counting sure wins. Outside of Duquesne's, is there a sure win on this schedule? Maybe Georgia Tech. Outside of that, there's not a single game you look at and say, oh, well, Florida State will definitely win that game. And if that's not a measure of how far that far the program has fallen, I don't know what does. I don't know what is. 
But that's the first week. And, of course, uh, you know, Vanderbilt's going to play twice uh, to open the season. You know, so, so good for them. They're going to play August 27th and then play again uh, the next week. So uh, could get off to a fast start. You should, Clark Lee. But that's kind of how things look today. As we get into next week on Friday, we'll kind of break some things down. But uh, the reality of it is, is college football season's here. We're three days away from watching college football. I'm excited. You should be as well. All right, time for today's top ten list. We're going to go back to the beginning of heavy metal today, man. I cannot believe we haven't done this. As always, the top ten list brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair. B-L-A-I-R. Close is in close your loan with Blair Chandler. Blair is a mortgage professional. A lot of people out there competing for your business, and uh, everybody started somewhere. But you know what? If you're going to trust something as important as your home to, to an individual, do it with somebody that's got 21 years of experience. A guy that's been top 1% close ratio in the country in back-to-back years, works for Fairway Mortgage, not some fly-by-night, some problem under. The reality of it is, is Blair has been in business this long because Blair knows how to do business. It doesn't matter if you're you know, an atypical borrower with a non-conforming property. He has seen it all and done it all. If anybody can get it done, it's Blair Chandler. And say, so, you know what, Steve, I've gotten my hopes up before and it's just not worked out. You know what, Blair's a guy that kind of specializes in cases like that. So you may be just, you know, ready to go. Maybe you're just thinking, hey, Steve, I'm looking to refinance or I've got a, you know, second mortgage I'd like to kind of absorb into one payment or perhaps I want to consolidate some debt. Blair's a guy that can make it happen for you. His phone number, 601-500-2344. Again, 601-500-2344. And that's directly to him. You can call or text him and let him know you heard about him on the barnyard. He'll even pay for your appraisal. How's that for an incentive, Right. A lot of other people out there want your business, but this is guys, you know what, I want it bad enough, I'll just pay for the appraisal. It's an amazing, an amazing convenience for Boneyard listeners of all kinds. Again, that's closeofblair.com. Roy reminds me today, we have not been a, done a top 10 Black Sabbath list. Now we've done Ronnie James Dio, we've done Ozzy, but we've never done Black Sabbath. Now, I'm not going to do the Heaven and Hell era. That's when Ronnie James Dio, and of course there were the Dio Disciples and things like that, and there were some other people that did things with Black Sabbath that uh, maybe weren't true to the earlier days of Ozzy and Ronnie James Dio. So we're going to Ozzy years. We're going to the Ozzy Black Sabbath years. I've told you guys before, Black Sabbath, the true first heavy metal band. They're tuning... The music itself, very dark and ominous. The name itself, Black Sabbath. You know, just a lot to that. There was an aura around this band, and every true rock band today owes a debt of gratitude to Black Sabbath. So we're going to do our top 10, top 10 Black Sabbath songs today. And, of course, this is from the Ozzy era. Number 10 from Technical Ecstasy, the only song on the countdown from that list is uh, Backstreet Kids. And you don't think that somebody involved with the Backstreet Boys kind of pirated off of that? Because there was nothing about the Backstreet Boys that made you think they were from the Backstreet. It's like, the, I remember who said, I guess it was Chris Rock, and said, if those are the Backstreet Boys, who's on the front street, Big Bird? This is a killer track, though, guys. If you're unfamiliar with it, I think it's the best track on the Technical Ecstasy album. Um, I think that's important to kind of understand, too. There's a lot of these albums, too, that maybe 
weren't highly acclaimed but have like some hidden gems in them. You Won't Change Me is another one on that album, but our, our, ours today is the Backstreet Kids. Top 10, number 10. Number 9, Children of the Grave. This is another one of those dark and ominous tunes that uh, a lot of people kind of point to is maybe an underappreciated Black Sabbath classic. And there were a lot of songs, too, that didn't get played on the radio. What's interesting, too, and I was speaking to Steve Ross this earlier, Stephen Ross, uh, you know, contributor, Jeans Page. And, um, you know, some songs have just kind of magically disappeared, you know, from some of the streaming platforms. Like, the whole album will be there, and then, like, with one or two exceptions, like, NIB is not there on the Black Sabbath album. Uh, Fairies Wear Boots is not there. And so I don't know, you know, it's like we're, if we're just too sensitive for that. You know, my, I, listen, I believe in a free society in many respects, right? I mean, I, I believe in freedom, um, especially when it comes to art. And so it's like n- nobody's playing this stuff on the radio. It's like nobody's forcing you to listen to it. And so why can't it be there for those of us that want to listen to it? You know, again, I don't understand if it's a censorship thing or perhaps the licensing issue, but, you know, nobody is playing... NIB on the radio. Nobody's playing it in a store. You know, you can go shop you know, at your local shopping mall or shopping center or whatever, and, and you're not going to run into that song. The only people that listen to it are the people that actually have it on vinyl or CD or whatever. So it just, it just seems silly to me. And again, I don't want to preach too much about this, but I believe in freedom of choice. I believe in freedom of art expression. You know, some people would say, well, I think that's offensive. Well, I think you're offensive. How about that? How about that? Can I remove you from iTunes too? Because that's what I think. You know, I believe in freedom of thought. I believe in freedom of the press. I believe in freedom in art. And again, it's your choice. You don't have to listen to it. All right, so again, short of the grave. Number eight, great tune. Again, kind of overshadowed by some huge hits on that album. It's The Wizard. I love the harmonica part, and Ozzy actually plays it. And if you watch uh, Jack and Ozzy's uh, Rock and Roll Detour show, whatever, I hadn't watched it in a while, but they visit the Mississippi Delta, and he goes to a famous music store up there, and then he plays the harmonica part with the proprietor of the music store from The Wizard. Great tune, again, kind of overshadowed by the fact that it's on a legendary album. All right, the title track, number seven, from the album Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath, some people are like, Steve, my gosh, it's not that serious. This album was banned in the United States for a while, and uh, there was talk about an alternate cover because there was like this, you know, this demon over supposedly this virgin or whatever, and um, so people lost their minds. And again, I submit to you, if you don't want to see that image, then don't buy the record. Life is full of choices, right? So the title track, Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath, again, dark, ominous. I think Tommy Iommi absolutely kills it on here. Love, I love the vibe on this one. And I think that album is kind of hit or miss, but there's, this is kind of a shiny moment. Number six from volume four, and I think this is one of Ozzy's most underappreciated songs from his Black Sabbath career. It's the song Snowblind. I absolutely love it. And he uses a little more of his upper register, and you can tell that it's true. Like nowadays, it's like you know, anybody can sing into a computer and, and sell millions of records, it seems. But you know, Sabbath's recorded a lot of this stuff live in the studio. And I think when you hear Snowblind, I think you really see, even at a young age, the singer that Ozzy Osbourne was. Number five, another song that gets played a lot, 
but not as much as the hits. And I dig it. Maybe you do too. It's Sweet Leaf. And there's nothing sweet about the song. But Sweet Leaf is another rocker that, again, the riff is incredible. Uh, that deep, grinding bass line, great. All right, I think we could probably all agree the top four. We may disagree on the order, and that's okay. But I think most of us would agree number four is the song Black Sabbath. So you've got the band Black Sabbath singing the song Black Sabbath on the album Black Sabbath. It makes it very, very easy to find, right? There are some iconic moments in music. This is one of them. This is one of those moments when this song came out, you know, they played what was called the devil's note, you know, because of how deep and dark it was and everything, and music began to change. Everything was kind of upbeat and peppy and poppy, and everybody loved everybody, and then all of a sudden these guys from England show up, and they're singing about Black Sabbath. And they had their banes in their eyes, you know, so like, oh, what's wrong with these guys? All right, number three, I can actually pull this off karaoke. Maybe many of you can. But it's War Pigs. And what's so interesting, too, is there was so much controversy about this song. And it's like, this is an anti-war anthem. But because Black Sabbath was singing it, you know, people tried to suggest there was more to it. And there was so many things, too, like even the, um, I can't remember which album it was. It may have been, uh, maybe Masters of Reality. I can't remember. But there, there was an album, I can't remember if it was, it was Paranoid. Yeah, maybe it was Master Real. Anyway, that this lady who was depressed, she killed herself, and when they went in, they found that the Black Sabbath record was on the record player, and they wanted to blame Black Sabbath for it. It's like, what? It's like, God forbid that she actually be mentally ill, or God forbid that, you know, she may have reached the end of a rope. Let's find somebody to blame. It's crazy. But, uh, but anyway, <clears throat> War Pigs, a lot of controversy about this song, and... Uh, you know, it's like, it basically, it's about, hey, let's stop war because war is stupid. War kills people, innocent people. And so they're calling the warmongers war pigs. That's what the song is about. All right, number two, and this is, again, a lot of debate. And you're probably, those of you that love Black Sabbath are curious which way I'm going to go here. Number two, I'm going Iron Man. I'm going Iron Man number one. A lot of people know this because of the introduction. And when they did it, everybody's like, oh, what's happening here? It's almost like this is a voice from the, the pits of hell, and it was really just some studio trick they did when he says, I am Iron Man. It's just this robotic-type voice. It really wasn't that big a deal. But at the time, I guess it, it appeared revolutionary in the 70s. But Iron Man is a, a song that has lasted forever and a day. It is a timeless rock classic. But number one for me, and when I hear them play it live, whether it be on albums or whether it be on television, this is the one that always gets the crowd jumping. Always. While a lot of their stuff is slow and dark and ominous and kind of in your face, this is one that is a true rock and roll classic. Let's go for Paranoid. That's right. Number one is Paranoid off the Paranoid album, ironically enough, which was uh, the second album. And what's interesting, too, when you go back and look at Sabbath, man, they pumped out like five albums in three years which was unheard of at the time. And there were so many people, so many critics, and people were like, well, you know, I don't know. These guys are kind of a flash in the pan or whatever. And they kept just churning out platinum records. If I remember correctly from my research, I, I believe that Paranoid went gold its first month of release. 
And again, that's kind of on the strength of Black Sabbath, the, the initial album. The debut album was so different, people couldn't wait to get their hands on the next stuff. And that's the thing, too, about music. There are a lot of people out there that have a lot of talent that don't draw a crowd, that can't move a crowd. I talked about that, you know, seeing Twister over the weekend. I don't know a lyric to a single one of their songs, but I know the crowd responds to them. There are a lot of people out there that are incredibly talented, but they can't write. They can't write songs. And so it's like, hey, well, why does this person not have a bigger crowd? It's because they can't connect with their audience. Bands like Black Sabbath did. And a lot of it was the vibe. And a lot of it was rebellion. A lot of people were like, you know what? This is just different. I get people forcing this stuff down my throat. I'm going to go join the band of outcasts. And so Black Sabbath rose to power and birthed heavy metal. Every heavy metal master, and really the ones that aren't quite as skilled, everybody owes a lineage to Black Sabbath, the first heavy metal band. Of all time. So there you go. My take on uh, the back of Black Sabbath catalog. And I'll be honest with you. I'm not going to give the disclaimer that your list may be wrong because your list may be right. I, I think that I've got it right. But there are a lot of people this band is very special to. And there are songs that, are, that maybe have an emotional attachment. And so I'm not going to be, uh, you know, I'm always joking when I say it. But I'm not going to say, hey, you're wrong about this. Because I, th I think you could put together maybe another half dozen songs on here and have a case to have them in the top ten. But Black Sabbath is one of those bands we talk about, you know, when things changed in music. You know, here about a year and a half ago, two years ago, I did the whole series at the request of one of our younger listeners. I said, hey, Steve, can you do like a history of rock music? Top ten. Black Sabbath one of the most significant bands in the history of rock and roll without any question. So enjoy some Black Sabbath today and get your fist in the air. If you have ideas for the top 10 list, reach out to me or Roy. Better yet, it's better to go to Roy at Dogmatic67 on Twitter. That's D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7. And you can also find him on Spotify. All of our lists are there. All right, next segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart. You guys are familiar with them. If you're not, you should be. A Starkvillian institution. Serving a great fan base, providing the greatest Mississippi State merchandise available in the marketplace today. The, the bully shop has been completely renovated. It's now upstairs at Campus Bookmark. They're no longer in the textbook business. Just selling Mississippi State merch. Be sure and go by and check them out when you're in town. If you can't make it to town to see their lovely and talented uh, Susie and her smiling face and many others, Visit them on the World Wide Web, courtesy of Al Gore's Internet, at campusbookmart.net. And being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays, and that is BSR. That gets you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. There's nothing better in life than something free. It's not a free lunch, but it could be, depending on uh, your purchase, right? So use that at campusbookmart.net, promo code BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. Any order less than 50 bucks, absolutely incomplete. All right, today's SEC opponent preview, Mississippi State will play this team. Miss Texas A&M will do Vanderbilt on Friday. Texas A&M, I, I think, you know, a lot of people say, yeah, they got over the hump last year, but did they really? I mean, it's been, it was an 8-4 and four year. They beat Alabama but lost to Arkansas, Mississippi State, and Ole Miss in the same year. Kind of been, you know, I guess kind of par for the course for Jimbo. They opened up with a 41-10 win over Kent State. Haynes King is lost 
for the season in a 10-7 win over Colorado. If I remember correctly, I want to say I picked Colorado to win that game. But uh, Colorado just couldn't score. That A&M defense is too much for them. But a 10-7 win for A&M, which forces Zach Calzada into action. A lot of discussion at Auburn that he's not going to be the starter. He might be the third-team quarterback. New Mexico, the next victims is the Aggies win 34-0. And so it's a 3-0 start for A&M. And people are thinking, okay, we're going to be okay. And then they play Arkansas at Jerry World. And this was really kind of a coming-out party. Arkansas to beat Texas and Texas A&M. Everybody's like, look at Arkansas. Arkansas wins 20-10. to And again, Zach Calzada kind of struggled a little bit. But, um, you know, we get them the next week. We go down to College Station. A lot of people predicted us to lose. I believe I was the only person in the Mississippi State media that picked us to win. We did win 26-22, which made them 3-2 and two on the year. And a lot of people were ready for Jimbo to be fired. Like, this is it. It's not going to work out. The next week, they beat Alabama 41-38. The big last-second field goal there to win it, to put the game away. Everybody's like, you know, Jimbo called, and all of a sudden, those back-to-back losses, people forgot. They were just 4-2. and two. But then they, A&M goes on a run. And I really thought Spiller had a chance to carry these guys, you know, potentially – potentially to uh, to Atlanta, if they could get a little help somewhere. They still had the two SEC losses. The next week, they go to Missouri, and they blast those guys 35-14. They get South Carolina at Kyle Field, beat them 44-14. So now all of a sudden, you look up, and the Aggies are 6-2. and two. They didn't control their own destiny, but they were in a situation where they could make some big things happen. They come out of the bye week. They absolutely destroy Auburn 20-3. That A&M defense just did a great job that day. Auburn, you know, was in free fall mode at that point. So they've put some great things together. All they got to do is go to Oxford, win a game up there to stay in contention, and they lose 29-19. And give the Ole Miss defense some credit. They kind of bottled up Spiller and limited the passing game, and Ole Miss wins. It was a big win at the time. A lot of people, including myself, expected A&M to win because Ole Miss was so bad against the run. You thought, hey, Spiller and Achain will run all over these guys. But they didn't. They didn't. The next week, they blast Prairie View 52-3, and then they lose at LSU 27-24. Of course, that win for LSU made them bowl eligible. A&M was kind of playing out the string here, eliminated from the SEC West race, but you felt like, hey, they got a chance to go do some good things, and then they canceled their bowl game. Didn't go play it. Mississippi State had the option to cancel their bowl game too. We went and played it. And some of you would suggest, well, we probably shouldn't have played because we knew we were going to lose. Uh, that, that's not a reason to cancel a game. A&M doesn't go play it. They finished the year with an 8-4 regular season. And as great as that Alabama win was – I think in many respects, people look at this season as a bit of a disappointment. It's like, yeah, we beat Alabama, but, but you lose to the Mississippi schools, lose to Arkansas, lose to LSU, and actually tied with Mississippi State in the SEC standings. So A&M, again, good season, not a great season. And considering the pieces they had available to them, quarterback play was a little bit dicey, but you had some good players at the skill position spots. And so... Uh, we'll see, you know, kind of how this, this year breaks out. Let's take a look and see, you know, kind of what, you know, of course, quarterback play is interesting, right? I mean, that's – I don't care if it's peewees or the pros. Whoever has a better quarterback usually wins. 
All right, let's take a quick look. A&M, uh, you know, here's the deal. They still have a lot of skill. Haynes King is a guy, of course, that's, uh, you know, still in the mix there. I don't think A&M is named a starter yet. <clears throat> Max Johnson from LSU goes to A&M because it was kind of SEC West quarterback turnover. And then there's Connor Wegman, a guy that's supposed to be a big-time recruit. We'll see how things go there. But um, I don't know that it's Haynes King. You know, could be Max Johnson, we'll see. But uh, that's going to be probably one of the biggest decisions they make this year. You might see multiple quarterbacks in a non-conference. All right, Spiller is gone, thank goodness. Uh, Devin Achain, he's back. Like him an awful lot. Then they move him around, right? They move him around and kind of make some things happen. Uh, Evan Stewart, how he taught a recruit, comes in. Could be the dude for them. There's an offensive line that um, was kind of young last year. They had some guys that were kind of highly touted that lacked some experience. But should be a group that should be pretty good. Not great. They lose Kenyon Green. Absolute, absolute stud. We'll kind of see how that, that progresses. That, that running attack is going to be the big part of things, take some pressure off that quarterback. They were able to lure defensive coordinator DJ Durkin away from Ole Miss. That Ole Miss staff, as you guys know, a lot of new faces over there. Durkin said at A&M, did a good job at Ole Miss. Didn't have a lot of talent available at times. Strung some things together. Got a lot out of that group last year. I don't think anybody could argue against that. So, you know, what happens now, you know, with, um, you know, this group? They lose Leon O'Neal, good player. Damani Richardson's back. Antonio Johnson's a guy, too, that um, an All-America type guy. See how things go. I like Tariq Chappell. I thought he played well against us. I know he, I know he had some up-and-down moments later in the year. Long, lean, athletic cornerback. Jalen Jones, another guy. So the secondary should be good. You know, how, how good is that front going to be? McKinley Jackson, of course, from uh, George County out there, and, and he's a guy, too, that's been a little bit up and down. But you got to feel like the light's going to turn on for him at some point. And of course, they went out and got Walter Nolan, considered by many to be the number one recruit in the country. So you've got some big bodies down there. Can you put together a cohesive unit? Linebacker's a much different deal. And in the way that uh, linebackers are put in conflict in this league because of the fact that so many teams run the spread, that's a very dangerous spot to have some deficiencies. Former Mississippi State recruit Edger and Cooper, at the time we thought he was coming here, uh, he's the guy that's got to have a big year for them. And there's Andre White Jr., who is expected to be a pretty big-time guy. So how does it all play out? Some people think this is a team that will contend in the West. I'm one of them. I don't think they do enough to get to Atlanta. And I think the way the schedule breaks for them, too, that um, there are some games in there that are kind of sandwiched together. They're going to be difficult. Let's take a quick look at the 2022 schedule for the Aggies. Again, they uh, open with Sam Houston. Should be a win. Then they get App State. Should be a win. Then they host Miami. That'll be awfully interesting. That'll be an interesting test early on. Miami has always had skill on both offense and defense. Will they have enough 
to go into Kyle Field and win. It's a toss-up. We tend to favor the home team. As we get closer, we'll pick it. But as we sit here today, I think A&M is probably enough to beat Miami at this point. The next week, they play Arkansas again in Jerry World. I like the game. I know you're basically trading the home game every year for that great experience, but um, it's a big crowd every year. I like A&M to win the game. Now, we could see them 4-0. We could see them 3-1. We could certainly see them 2-2 when they arrive in Starkville. I don't think State's a good matchup for them. And a lot of it's because of what we mentioned about the linebackers. The secondary should be good, but the intermediate passing game has to be covered by linebackers. We're going to have to run the football against them. Not not consistently, but we're going to have to run enough to put those linebackers in conflict, and I think we will. When you go back, I don't know what Miami's going to do offensively at this point, right? But you know what Arkansas is going to do. Arkansas is going to be a run-heavy scheme, and I think that's probably something that favors A&M because I think a and is going to be really good up front. I think getting them back on their heels against the spread when they go decide to go drop eight, drop seven, and last year they got, you know, Elko was there and they got really stubborn and decided to go man-to-man and we absolutely burned them. Will they do that? You know, Durkin, of course, had some success against State last year and State did a good job between the 20s, just couldn't finish. They get us compacted down in the, in the red zone. But I, I like us to win the game. I feel like... If I had to pick between you know the three games between our, our state needs to go two and one at least against Arkansas A and M and Kentucky, I think we'll beat Kentucky and I feel good about Arkansas. I think the A and M game is a bit of a toss up and again you favored the home team, but I think the fact that we're playing them kind of sandwiched in between that Arkansas game on a neutral site, their first trip away from Kyle Field, the first true road game of course will be at our place, and then they go to Alabama. I like where we're positioned. And while they may be 4-0, I think they could be kind of a flimsy 4-0. You can say, but Steve, the potential to have a couple top 25 wins, that's true. But I think I don't I think football's about matchups. And I don't know that we're a great matchup for them. The next week they're at Alabama, that's a loss. I don't know if we need to spend a lot of time talking about that. I know that's probably one of the most anticipated games because of all this off the field saber rattling, but um that's a game that you know Nick Saban will be ready to get. And I think if Nick can get 70, he will. I don't think, I don't think they'll leave any doubt. So you got him starting 4-0 and and then going 4-2, and potentially 3-3. Three and three. A week off, and they travel to South Carolina. I like them to win at South Carolina, but that game could be awfully interesting too. I don't really consider it a toss-up game, though. I think South Carolina is going to have some difficulty running the football against Texas A&M. The next week, they host Ole Miss. Again, it's a toss-up, so we're going to go with the home team. Florida, a run-first scheme, a quarterback run-first scheme against that front, that could be a real challenge. Napier and those guys, you know, will probably have some things in to, uh, to kind of boot off that stuff, kind of fake the quarterback run, roll him outside the pocket, kind of make it a two-on-two game, put the linebacker in conflict. I think that could be awfully interesting. But I like A&M at home. I just don't have a lot of faith in Florida. I, I, I may feel differently when we pick in that game in early November. They go to Auburn. I think that's a win for them too. 
late in the year, I think Brian Harson, I think the, the the posse will already be mounted at that point. They get the UMass Minuteman next, that's a W, and then they host LSU. And so again, let's run it down real quick here. Sam Houston win, App State win, Miami win, Arkansas win. I got them losing the state. So they're four and two, and then they they beat South Carolina, makes them five and two. I think they beat Ole Miss to go six and two. Florida could be awfully interesting. So I've got this team potentially winning nine or ten games this year. Uh, I think they're very very competitive. I think they're a team that um, that will ride the running game and defense. Now I may feel differently as we get into the year, and you say, but Steve, you know, you picked Mississippi State to win. This is a team that could potentially win ten games. Well, so did NC State and Carolina and Kentucky last year. I just think, you know, again, when you look at the way the schedule kind of works, I love being there as the sandwich game between the first game away from Kyle Field at a raucous environment at Davis Wade Stadium the night after Rock Vegas and then them going to Alabama the next week. I got to drop them both. All right, so that's how I see it. Maybe you see it differently, but I think this team will probably finish second in the West. Probably. And it's like sometimes I look at all these toss-up games and I can talk myself into thinking they're an 8-4 and four team. But, you know, I think they get a lot of the toss-ups at home, which favor them. But, uh, you know, this could be a team, too, that you may look up at the end of the year and they're having to beat LSU for bowl eligibility. Because there, there's some there's some te- – what if Florida's better than we expect? Right? You know, and what if Arkansas runs them over? What if Miami's better than we expect? I mean, let's be honest, Miami preseason number 16 is a little bit lofty. What if Miami offensively catches light in the bottle, especially early on in the year? You know, you could have, you could have, you could be two and four headed to South Carolina and then having a toss-up game against the the Gamecocks, Ole Miss, and Florida. So this schedule is very intriguing. You know, the only sure wins I think I look at on here are, are Sam Houston, App State, and UMass. But I think this team takes a step forward this year. Maybe I'm wrong because Texas A&M has been difficult to predict. I think we can all agree there. And a lot of it's going to boil down to quarterback play. So we got to go out there and score some points to put these guys away. I don't think there's any question about it. All right, final segment of the show brought to you by our friends at Portico. We've talked about them a lot on this show, and I don't ever want it to get to be old hat, right? I mean, you hear the same ad sometimes show after show. Guys, I'm telling you this. Next time that you're in town, you got some extra time. Ride by and see it for yourself. A lot of construction going on here in Starkville. There is. I would want to be closer to campus. That's that's me. My needs are met by being closer to campus. Portico is 1.1 miles away from the Mississippi State campus. How amazing is that? And it's tucked in a neighborhood, so you're not right not right there on 12. Go by and check it out. Be a great place to live. I live out here in the sticks. And trust me, if I was moving to Starkville now, I'd move to Portico. All those years living in neighborhoods in Baton Rouge, I'm like, you know what, I want to have some room. You know, now all these kids are aging out on me. I'll be an empty nester next year, you know. And so it's like I think, you know what, it'd be nice to be close to campus, you know. Maybe you feel the way that I do. Reach out to our friend Brooks Bryan at 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601-416-8075. He's got some great Mississippi State baseball stories he can share. 
But listen, you need to be close by as the next stories unfold. Whether it be your ballgame weekend retreat, perhaps your future retirement home, or maybe your primary residence. A lot of young professionals are thinking, you know what, I want to raise a family in the Golden Triangle. I'd love to be able to have uh, you know, my kids go to school right there in Starkville. we got some great schools here. I can tell you this, I've had three Starkville High School students live at my house. They've had great experiences. And maybe you want to go to Starkville Christian, Starkville Academy. You've got options here. You know, whatever your needs are. But I can tell you this, I've got one Starkville High School graduate that uh, is now a computer engineer. I've got another one that's uh, about to go to law school and will be a absolute killer litigator. And then I've got a young guy that's about to graduate and uh, went to early college high school for a couple of years, but decided he wanted to run cross country. So transfer back to Starkville High School and then he'll be going to Mississippi State. We've been very pleased with our experience. Uh, but the reality of it is Starville is a great place to raise a family. It's a great place to live. It's not just about Mississippi State, but it, it helps an awful lot that you're so close to Mississippi State. Make Portico your next move. Okay, let's talk some recruiting in the time we have left. I wrote an article yesterday. You know, it's been now 12 days since Chris Parson committed to Mississippi State. And I think at that point we could kind of exhale a little bit. Then you look at it and say, okay, all right, now we got our quarterback in place. Okay, now we can kind of go looking for dinner. Well, I don't think you're going to see a big rush of commitments right now. I think now the thing, the way things are kind of set up now, a lot of these guys are going to get into the season. They're going to take some game day visits. You're going to take some official visits and decide later in the process. Doesn't mean it's going to be signing day. But I don't think you see a big rush of recruiting activity over the course of the next couple months. Now, that's not to say that you don't have a guy that maybe has been leaning your way that comes to a ball game and says, you know what, Coach, I'm ready to go. After being around this atmosphere, I'm ready to be a Bulldog. You know, that could happen. But until we start taking those official visits, I don't think you're going to see a lot of activity. Now, we talked about Santana Fleming a lot on the show. He's talked about taking official visits to Louisville. He's got a visit set up to uh, Auburn, and then we'll come see Mississippi State the day of the weekend of uh, of Rock Vegas. How about that? That's a big recruiting weekend. We're going to have a rock show, you know. Um, also going to have a pretty good ball game that day too. And so I don't think you see Fleming do anything until after his visits. And there's a lot of discussion that he might take some other ones. And this is the guy too that early on, a lot of people thought it was a slam dunk to go to Florida State. And I don't even know if Florida State's even really recruiting him that hard before. He's not the biggest guy. He kind of fits what we want. You know, I mean, he's kind of like in the same vein as Tulu and, and Rufus Harvey a little bit, you know, around 5'10", 5'11", kind of a scatty guy that's, uh, you know, got some, some quicks, got some good foot speed. I think that's a guy that kind of fits what we want to do at inside receiver. And so, you know, we'll see. And I know Tulu lines up outside. Don't, don't message me. But I think he fits what we want to do, and I think there's a good chance we get him and not put the crystal ball pick in just yet. I understand it's really kind of between us and Auburn, and you look at Auburn's situation, you know, that coaching change could, could occur this year. It's tough to recruit with that hanging over your head, right? I mean, because trust me, everybody reminds them of that. What are you going to do if they get fired? You know, there's some kids, and mine included, they would have come to Mississippi State regardless, right, just to wear the uniform to be a part of it all. They've grown up being a Bulldog, and it's like their dream to be a Bulldog, and no coaching change can change that. But when you're, a, when you're a recruit that doesn't have an emotional investment in a program, and you don't have a connection, you know, perhaps to the school, through a family history, the coaching relationships matter most of all. And by and large, relationships truly matter in recruiting. You know, everybody talks, well, there's NIL, and, and, and all that stuff's true, 
But the reality of it is, at the end of the day, you got to trust the people that are going to be coaching you and molding you and directing you. And that's not always an easy decision for young people to make. I mean, we teach young people to be respecters of authority, right? And maybe it's a little different nowadays. But, um, but you understand my point. It's like, you know, you're respecting coaches. You do what your coach asks you to do. Well, you've got to be able to trust the coach is, is doing right by your kid, doing right by the team. And so, again, there are a lot of people out there that, um, you know, when a coach leaves, all of a sudden, you know, the attraction for that school is removed. So – it's important to kind of think about that with Fleming. It's like if Auburn's building a relationship and then those guys get fired in November, is he going to do what Simeon Price did? Is he going to do what Rara did? I mean, that was the situation, you know, Muschamp and those guys have built a great relationship in South Carolina and all of a sudden Shane Beamer, as great as he is and, and wonderful guy as he is, it's difficult to rebuild those relationships in such a short time. Well, Steve Spurrier had been out there kind of lurking in the reeds, and he'd love nothing more than to be able to stick it to South Carolina. He goes and snakes both of those guys. And so I think you could see a situation with Fleming that I believe right now Mississippi State is the leader. However, if he did pick Auburn, I don't think that his recruitment would necessarily be over until you get an assigning day. And I don't just mean that you know, rhetorically. I'm just saying that there could be some changes in the program for Auburn. <clears throat> That's something to kind of consider too. The problem that he may have is that we may not have a need for a receiver at that point, but uh, Steve Spurrier Jr. always seems to take a receiver late that people maybe have given up on. All right, let's take a quick, you know, kind of quick look at things. As it stands today, we gave a bit of an inventory here a while back about Mississippi State's class and what we expect. Let's kind of run through, you know, how the state rankings look. Ole Miss has picked up some recruits here as of late, too. And, um, you know, that's been interesting. It's, you know, spurred some discussion here. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to address some of that, too. Uh, I'm not one of those guys that believes that a guy loses value as a player because he goes to a school that perhaps I'm not interested in. Right? That always say, oh, we don't really want him. You know, listen, I'm going to be honest with you guys. Aiden Williams, we would have loved to have had him be a Bulldog. We would have loved for that to have happened. But he's not. And when I talked to his coach, when I set up his profile, from the very beginning, he said, if he stays in state, it's going to be Ole Miss. Got some Ole Miss people around him. Doesn't mean that he's necessarily favoring Ole Miss. He's really looking maybe to go out of state. And LSU was kind of a a favorite for him, and I thought ultimately that's where he would go. Now, I don't know if LSU pushed to take him or not. I know South Carolina did, but Aiden Williams is really good. I really like his film. It's unfortunate he's going to miss, but that guy can play. I don't know that he's the number two player in the state. I actually have him probably fourth in my personal rankings, and that's not, again, that's not to say anything bad about the kid. He is without a doubt the best receiver in the state in my estimation. He just happens to be going to Ole Miss. So because State has not really been a factor in his recruitment, a lot of people have kind of tuned out about his recruitment. Then all of a sudden he announces for Ole Miss and be like, oh, wait a minute, I thought Ole Miss wasn't recruiting well in State. Well, they're not really prioritizing in-state recruiting, but they have gotten some guys that can really play. And of course, you know, Gid Perkins, I mean, he's from Raleigh and committed to them early. You know, Alabama could still be on him. We'll see what happens there. And I think Ole Miss is going to have to work to keep him. Again, great player. Also a guy that was, you know, very closely aligned with some Ole Miss people from the beginning of his recruitment, so they were expected to get him. I mean, Dante Moncrief is a hero in Raleigh, and rightfully so. 
And so a lot of those people say, hey, well, listen, Dante Moncrief went to Ole Miss. He went to the NFL, played for a few years, made some money. You should too. And so it's, you can't discount that. You know, what young people grow up around, right? I mean, that's just the reality of life. I mean, you think those kids in West Point grow up dreaming of going to Ole Miss? No, they don't. They're around here. They see what Eris Williams has done. You know, they, they, they see what some of their, their classmates and guys that they see, you know, around town have done. Well, if it was good enough for them, it's good enough for me, right? And you say, well, Steve, you, you don't have him number two. Who do you have? I, I've got Isaac Smith, and I go back and forth between Gid Perkins and Isaac Smith as the best player. And I think the best way to describe this is I think Gid Perkins is probably the best athlete in the state. Now, he plays running back at Raleigh, and I was hoping to go see them this weekend, but unfortunately I've got a family event down south Mississippi I've got to attend. Uh, and that game is actually being moved to Waynesboro due to the, all the rain in the area. And so they don't want to play that game in the slops. So that'll, that'll make it awfully interesting. So Bay Springs against uh, Raleigh in Wayne County, if you're interested in going to that game. Uh, very generous of the folks at Wayne County to provide their venue. Uh, so I think Gid Perkins – is the best athlete. I think Isaac Smith is the best true defensive player. Now, I think Gid Perkins eventually becomes a linebacker, but uh, I really like Isaac Smith, and he's a guy, too, we've talked about a lot. Ole Miss not really a factor with him. They were initially. Initially, they were expected to be the pick, and I think now it's very wide open. He's considering Texas A&M. He's considering Georgia, considering Mississippi State. He's taking an official visit to Vanderbilt. Really not much of a mention from Ole Miss. Now, it may be because the guys at Ole Miss – just have a different evaluation of him. Maybe they feel like, you know what, hey, we need a safety, but we don't need a young safety. We need to go to the portal and get another safety. I don't know their needs. So I don't see that recruitment as an indictment on Isaac Smith's ability or Ole Miss's recruiting prowess. It could be a situation where he just doesn't fit what their needs are this year. But that guy, I think, is a future NFL player. And if that's the case, I think they're making a mistake with him. But, um, you know, we'll see what happens. Dante Dowdell, of course, uh, ranked fourth in the state. I love this kid's game. I do. And the question mark that I've always had about him is, okay, in that offense, they run that unbalanced line, they get out there and kind of get downhill on you. What about the other aspects of his game? And I've seen some video about him going to some camps. It looks pretty natural catching the football. You know, a lot of people thought he might be a linebacker early on. And I can tell you this, and this is going to make some people unhappy, but I believe he would have committed to Mississippi State very early in this process if we had offered him. We never did. And I think it's a mistake, and I don't mind saying that. I know that there are other people out there that say, well, you know, Steve, I'm not afraid to just kind of give you my opinion. I'm not always going to just go by the company line here. I think Dante Dowdell, whether he is a running back or a linebacker, I would have taken him and figured it out. The guy's a talented athlete. Now he's committed to Oregon. A lot of Ole Miss people expected him to pick them. He didn't. And I, I remind that to the people that were like, well, hey, Steve, you know, Ole Miss has got some juice as of late, and they have. And to be fair about it, they have. They've got a couple of really good players. Uh, Jamarius Brown's a guy we've talked about. He's listed at 6'3", 250, and, and I just don't think that's accurate. I just don't. I think there are a lot of people in our industry that are offer counters. And so here's the deal, too. I only have to keep up with Mississippi kids and the guys at Mississippi State's recruiting. It's a difficult job for other people that have much bigger territories. But Jamarius Brown is probably closer to 6'1". He is an explosive player. But I just wonder how well does that translate at the next level? They, we've got him ranked fifth in the composite. I think that's a little bit high. Uh, 
but he plays a premium position. I mean, they have him listed as an edge. He's not going to be an edge. This kid's going to play inside. I mean, there, there's no way you're going to play that guy out there on the edge. And if you look at him right now, I mean, he'll be pushing 280, 290 after a couple of years in a college weight room. And he's a big kid, uh, just not real tall. And, you know, interior line play is about leverage. And I think that that's one of the things he'll struggle with. I mean, he's kind of in that um, Benito Jones mold a little bit. But Benito was a little more developed physically, but I think kind of a similar type player. And, you know, Benito, of course, uh, went to Ole Miss and ultimately undrafted, but had a good career up there. I see him kind of in that same vein. Tobias Hinton, of course, the number six player in the state and uh, committed to Mississippi State. And then Brayson Hubbard. And so when you start running this thing down now, you start looking at the in-state top 25. You know, there's only a handful of guys now, and we, we've got to do some work on the rankings. There's, there's some kids that are ranked in the top 25 that – that shouldn't be there, and that's not an indictment. It's just a matter of everybody kind of getting caught up. Um, but, you know, looking at, you know, the, the premium guys within our state, you know, you've got um, Caleb Bryant recently decommitted from Utah. He's going to take visits out west, go out to USC, see some other places. Uh, I'm told what he is going to do is to enjoy the process and then ultimately we'll probably pick a team a little bit closer to home. Uh, there are some – our fans that read this and think, I think he wants to pick everybody but Mississippi State. I don't think that's the case at all, at all. And here's the deal, too. If he does pick somebody else, it's going to be okay. I mean, he's obviously a great player. We love him here to beat Mississippi State. But I don't think this is guys is going to make or break your class. I think he is a guy, that, number one, that fits what we want to do. And because he is a Vicksburg kid, you want to go get him. Uh, I know there's some people up there that are encouraging him to kind of get out and kind of enjoy the process, and, and he should. But I don't think this is a situation where he has made any, any decisions uh, to eliminate any of the in-state schools. And I think it's important to understand, too, you know, the day he committed to Utah, I told you guys then, there's no way this sticks. And I don't think he's together to go to USC either. I think in the end – he will pick a southeastern school. Whether it's Mississippi State, that remains to be seen. I don't think that he signs with a West Coast school. And then there's Isaac Smith, and we talked about that. So there's only two guys in, say, the top 15 that remain undeclared. And then there's some guys that are, you know, between, you know, 15 and 25 that remain undeclared, and some of those guys uh, are not top 25 players in my estimation. Uh, you know, we've got – again, we've got to do some work on the rankings. And, and that's not to say there's going to be a lot of guys move up and, and achieve four-star status. And I get a lot of those questions a lot. And I'm going to shoot you straight here. Okay, I, I don't understand, like Malik Ellis, I don't understand how his ranking has dropped as much as it has. Is he a thinner guy? Yes, but so was Charles Cross. I'm not projecting that he's going to be the same type of player as Charles Cross. I hope that he is. But he hasn't played a college football or high school football game, and he really hadn't been in many camps. And all I've done is since he's committed is seen his ranking drop. I don't understand that. I don't get that, that aspect of it. I understand if you see him, you know, if you like the only people that saw him in camp at Mississippi State were me and Paul Jones, right? And so those are the things that I look at within the industry. There was no, like ESPN didn't have anybody there, and Rivals didn't have any, any evaluators there, but yet all of a sudden, his ranking changes. I don't think that he emerges at the end of this process as a four-star. It's not to say that I don't think he's going to be a great player. I do. I think he's going to be a really good player. But he's a year that's going to, he's going to need a redshirt year. He's going to have to get bigger and stronger. It's probably a two-year project for him. Like once he gets here, 
got to put on some good weight, learn to play at that weight, and then kind of move forward. Kind of like what you saw with Charles. And I don't know that I would say he is a Charles Cross clone. I, I wouldn't say that in any, any respect. But I think you're going to see a similar maturation of a player here where it takes him a little time to get bigger and stronger. Uh, interesting enough, too, uh, you know, some of these other guys, too, that uh, you know they're a little bit down in the rankings, like uh, Jalen Abram. All right, so he's 16th according to the composite. This kid can really play. Uh, I really like his film. My concern is, is he a cornerback? Is he a safety? I like him as a safety. That's not to say that Mississippi State's corner coach, uh, Darcy McBath, can't win that argument uh, with the rest of the staff. I really like the kid a lot. I don't think he's a four-star guy, though. I, I think maybe he elevates a little bit in the rankings. But when I look at some guys ahead of him, I kind of ask myself, you know, what is, what is the intrigue with some of these guys? You know, I think it's a good year in-state. It's not a great year. We had some depth in this class. We don't have a lot of headliners. Uh, but a guy that I think is undervalued and, and, again, doesn't have a lot of offers is Kendarius Jones. And I think once some people get – he's committed to Florida State. I think once some people get out there and see him in person, I think you're going to see some new offers uh, for him. I, I think that's – I think that's just a matter of time. I think – you want to talk about a guy that could be a high riser in Mississippi during the 2022 high school season, I, I, that's him. Quindarius Jones, that's the guy that I, I would kind of watch to see how things progress this year. Like him a lot. Does he play safety? Does he play receiver? I don't know, but that guy's a football player. Really like him a lot. But um, I think State's best chance is to see guys move up to four-star status within the current recruiting class are Chris Parson and, um, and Jack Crocker. Uh, uh, Jack, yeah, because I think, number one, Parson is going to play on a big stage much longer this year, I think Ravenwood has a chance to be a really good team this year. So, Chris Parson, I think, could elevate his status. And, and let's not discount the Elite 11 either, right? I mean, this is a guy that got picked for the Elite 11. So, it's not like that he's a guy that's just kind of getting balanced athleticism. And the Elite 11 is, not, is, is a quarterback competition. It's not a track meet. And I think when you look at Joe, I don't know how, how I get this, discombobulated sometimes. But um, I think – when you look at when you, the first thing you look at with Joe is you look at his massive size and you look at the film. I think you can get really excited about that. I don't think there's any question you get excited about that guy. Um, but the reality of it is is that uh, again J Joe's not going to play against a lot of competition. But Joe, when you look at Joe's Joe's offer sheet, I think when his senior round his senior film to make the round, I think we got a case there for him. But I, I don't think you're going to see a lot of upward mobility with the in-state kids. That's just my honest opinion. You know, it's a guy that has tried to objectively evaluate some of these guys. I know, like, when a guy goes out and has 100 yards against, you know, a 2A school, people are going to be like, oh, he's underrated, should be a four-star. I, I just don't share that same feeling. Uh, but I wanted to kind of share that with you guys today. Listen, if you hadn't done so, go to dogpilethebook.com. You can order all my sports books there. I get a lot of questions about that. Where can I get the book? Dogpilethebook.com. And you get Flim Flam, Alpha Dog, Stark Villains, all from there. And again, very few Stark Villains available. I told you they didn't even have it at the book festival. They had Alpha Dogs. They had uh, Dogpile. Didn't have any Stark Villains. So if you want to get that book, you need to get it taken care of very, very soon. You're looking for the poetry book, Bloomsville Leander, available through Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, BooksMillion.com, or through your local bookstore. They can order it through Ingram. 
Uh, also of note, if you're looking for Stark Villains gear, go to StarkVillains.com and you can order uh, Stark Villain shirts in black and white, maroon and white, or perhaps in your high school colors. How cool is that? Especially if you live here in town. I encourage you to go by and check that out. All right, we'll have more updates on uh, Rock Vegas here in the days to come. Look forward to you guys coming and being a part of that. But before we get to that, we've got a lot of college football to watch, a lot of college football to see in person. Uh, as Mississippi State gets ready to take on the University of Memphis here at Davis Wade Stadium. That's it for today. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.